And open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 3. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find them on page 858. Our passage today is about the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist. And we understand that the events that we'll read about today most likely occur sometime in the time frame of between A.D. 27 and A.D. 29 or so. We understand that based upon the information that Luke gives to us in the first couple verses of this passage. Let's pray again and ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord God, we do pray that you would send your spirit to be mighty um, in working in concert with your word. Lord, help us to rightly understand the truths of this passage. Help us to understand that which you desire for us to understand and then to apply it rightly in our lives. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. I'm going to like to ask you to keep your Bibles open throughout our time together this morning. I'd love it if you would do that each and every time that, we, um, that God's Word is brought to you, but especially this morning as we'll kind of go back and forth between looking at a verse or two and making some observations and then going back and forth like that. Luke begins the third chapter of his gospel saying, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Assyria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Luke, the historian, places the events of this chapter, again in this time frame, of somewhere in that range of about 27 to 29 A.D. That's when we understand the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar would have occurred and when the reign of the seven political and religious leaders would have overlapped. He makes reference of the Caesar in Rome, Tiberius. He makes reference of the local Roman governor whom we're all familiar with, Pontius Pilate. And three Roman installed puppet kings of different regions of Israel including Herod and his two brothers. That's Herod, the son of Herod the Great. Then also he makes reference to the two highest Jewish religious officials of the day, the high priest Annas and his son-in-law Caiaphas. And Luke tells us that it was during this time, during this time of A.D. 27 or 29 or so, that the word of the Lord came to the man who we know as John the Baptist. And when this happened, this was a fulfillment of the prophecy that the angel Gabriel had given when he appeared to John's father, Zechariah, in the temple in Luke chapter 1. When Gabriel told Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he will be filled from the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. 
And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And now some 27 or 29 or 30 years or so following the conception and birth of that child, that prophecy finds its fulfillment as John receives this word from the Lord in the wilderness and as he begins his ministry. And what is that ministry and message of John? Well, verse 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is, the, is a sign of the covenant of the New Testament, but, but baptism wasn't completely unknown in the days of the Old Testament. But here, John's doing a new thing with it. In the days prior to Christ, if a Gentile a non-Jewish person, if a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, and if he wanted to worship the God of the Jews, he had to go through a ceremonial cleansing of baptism. And that was because Gentiles were considered as being unclean. So if John had come and had simply called Gentiles to be baptized, that really wouldn't have been news. But that isn't what John's doing here. But what is John doing? John's coming and he's demanding that Jews be baptized. And this was actually scandalous. Because in calling Jews to be baptized, they got that message that he was giving. He was saying, you're unclean. You're no better than those dogs, the Gentiles. He's telling his Jewish hearers, you're dirty. And if you want to be right with the Lord, you must first be cleansed from your unrighteousness. And this was part of the ministry that the Lord gave to John to make ready for the Lord a people prepared as Gabriel referred to the, laws, to the Lord's calling on John's life. John came to prepare the way of the Lord. That's what Luke says in verse 4. Look at that passage. Quoting the words of Isaiah, the prophet from Isaiah 40. Luke references the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every morning and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Much of the book of Isaiah is a prophecy of doom. But the Lord promises that after he brings judgment, he'll bring deliverance. He'll bring salvation. And it's Isaiah, of course, where we learn about a virgin who will conceive and bear a son who will call his name Emmanuel. 
And it's in Isaiah where we learn that this one who is to come, this one who is to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and the prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And that he'll sit on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it forever. And it's in Isaiah where we learn of one whom the Lord calls his servant whom the Lord will raise up to be a light to the nations. And it's that one whom Isaiah calls God's suffering servant, who will bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, who will be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, and upon whom God will lay upon him the iniquity of us all. And John's message is, is that the time has come for those things to happen. That the coming of God's Messiah is at hand. But Israel, God says, John says, you're not ready for him. You're not ready to receive him yet. You must first repent of your sins. You must first be cleansed. You must be baptized. You must Prepare the way of the Lord. That phrase really has two basic connotations. In John's day, this is what might be said if a king or some other dignitary was approaching. Servants would go ahead of that king or of that dignity saying, make way for the king. Meaning clear out, step aside for someone of great esteem is coming. So when when John says, prepare the way of the Lord, there's an aspect of him calling you to recognize the worth, the supremacy of the one who's coming and to give him homage, to pay respect to him that's due. And when it was known that a king or dignitary was coming to your region, you'd also want to prepare for his coming by tidying up your town and by clearing up, by cleaning up the roads. You didn't want the roads in your vicinity to to be a bad reflection upon you. And so you would go and, and make way, make ready, prepare for the coming of that one. Make Way, prepare the way of the Lord, John says. But one thing that's interesting is in that passage from Isaiah, Isaiah says that God will be the one who will be in those who will do those things. That he will be the one who will bring the mountains low, who will raise the valleys up, cause them to all be like a plain where um, the path will be like a super highway for the Messiah who is to come. But if all of these things of making ready for the the coming of someone, if those things were all proper things to do in the advance of the coming of some regional dignitary, how much more for the very king of glory? But John isn't just calling the people to prepare the road for this coming Messiah king. But he's calling on the people to prepare their hearts for his coming. And the heart preparation that's most needed for God's coming king, John says, is that of repentance. 
that need for repentance is clear, especially for some, as John's message includes the harsh words that we see in verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I guess John never read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He has harsh words for the people who hear him. And now one thing that Luke doesn't say in his passage, but it is referenced in a parallel account in Matthew 3. Matthew says that these words of John, when John began his ministry of baptism, were actually directed at the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were gathered there. Jesus will use this same phrase, you brood of vipers, when condemning the Pharisees and the scribes whom he says were evil. And they were like whitewashed tombs, all pretty and clean on the outside, but full of dead man's, dead men's bones. So whether John's words here that Luke records were expressed directly at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we don't know that for sure in Luke's account. But we do see the connection that he makes between these harsh words and those that follow in verses 8 and 9, when John says, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that, that does not bear good fruit is cut and thrown into the fire. And the Jewish people had a habit of trusting their right standing with God, that that was because they were descendants, the children of Abraham. Abraham, the patriarch, of course, with whom God had entered into a special covenant and had made all these many covenant promises to. But here John's saying that one's heritage isn't enough to ensure right standing with God. And so kids, that's especially important for you to understand. Just because your parents walk with the Lord doesn't mean that you'll necessarily automatically walk with him when you're an adult. You must make your you must make your parents' faith your own faith. You children must personally embrace the Lord and endeavor to walk with him for a lifetime. It's a great blessing to have godly parents. It's a great blessing to have a godly heritage. But that in and of itself isn't a guarantee of right standing with the Lord. So what is bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? And that's very much what Jesus said in John 15, and we've talked about this several times over the last couple of weeks. There Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, John says. Again, Christ says very much the same in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. By their fruit you will recognize him. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And the will of our Father in heaven is that we would repent and that we would bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. We see that in the verses that follow, verses 10 through 14. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. John is showing us here that, that a heart that has repented, a heart that's been cleansed by the Lord, is to be evidenced through demonstrations of mercy towards others, and by recognizing the dignity of others, and by dealing with others in truthfulness. Again, that verse, Micah 6, 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. John, call, John calls upon his hearers to show mercy and kindness to those in need. That's what the Lord has done for us. And that's what he calls for us to do as well. As men and women, boys and girls who have received the mercy of the Lord, the Lord calls upon us to show mercy to others. As men and women, boys and girls who have received the love and kindness of the Lord, the Lord calls upon us to offer love and kindness to others. The Lord tells us that, that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. He commends to us the deeds of the Good Samaritan. We're to do unto others as we would have others do unto us. We're to consider others as being more important than ourselves, Philippians 2.3. We're to share of what we have with others. In short, we're to live and love as Jesus lived and loved. May God enable us to do so. Now, upon hearing the words of John, the crowd asked him, What then shall we do? Here I'm reminded of two other passages in Scripture where people ask the apostles that very same question. 
In Acts 2, as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, the people responded, Brothers, what shall we then do? And Peter responded to them saying, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 16, when the Philippian jailer saw a great action of God, he asked Peter and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. To that question of what then shall we do? The answer in the pages of Scripture is clear. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the, repent, for the forgiveness of your sins. We do this once we're baptized and we repent, we turn from our sins and we turn towards Christ, trusting and believing in Him for a first time. But then we must also continue to repent and we must also continue to believe. Daily, we must repent. Daily, we must keep on believing. And we must do that daily. Daily repenting, daily believing, daily trusting in Jesus. And by the enablement of the Holy Spirit, daily bearing fruits in keeping with repentance. You know, it's not present in Luke's witness, but other gospel writers fill in more details about John. They speak of his unkempt appearance, saying that he was dressed in garments made of camel hair, and he had a strange diet. He ate locust and honey. To many, he seemed to be a wild man. He lived in the wilderness. His life was different. His appearance was different. His, his diet was different. His message was different. His belief, his actions were all different. He lived differently than most people lived. And you know, we as Christians are called to live differently as well. And it may be that many would think us strange also. We're called to live counter-cultural lives. Rather than to most be concerned about ourselves, we're to think more highly about others than we do ourselves. Rather than to hoard our riches, we're called by our God to give generously to others and back to Him. Rather than to only want to be with the beautiful people, we're to befriend and to love the least of these. Our Lord tells us that he who would be first must become the least and the last. And that to save our lives, we must give up our lives. That we must die to ourselves and that we must die to the world. And because we're called to live so differently than the world lives, it can feel like we live in the wilderness as well. But that's okay. Because this world really isn't our home. Philippians 3.20 Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This world is not our home. But yet while we live in this world, we're, we're still called to seek the blessing of this place where we live and those who live in it. Jeremiah 29, 17. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And as we live in the wilderness of this world, we remember that the Lord is the God who provides for his people in the wilderness. We remember how the Lord provided his people with the manna and the quail and the water during the exodus. And we remember also that Jesus said that he was that bread. John 6, 51, where Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And we remember his words from John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The Lord is the God who provides of himself sustenance for his people in the wilderness. John the Baptist came out of the wilderness to prepare the way for the one who would come after him, the Lord Jesus. Jesus would spend his own time in the wilderness, being tempted. And because he was perfectly obedient, because he was perfectly sinless, because he resisted those temptations and every other temptation as well, he's able to be our substitute. He's able to be our atoning sacrifice. And he's able to provide forgiveness for our sins. Have you prepared the way for Jesus in your life. Maybe you need to do that for a first time. Yielding the right away, if it were, to the King of glory as He comes, recognizing Him, asking Him to come into your life as your Lord, your God, and your King. Prepare the way of the Lord. Do that also every day, keeping your heart open to Him, asking for Him to come to you all the more. And then we take the message of John the Baptist and the, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We take that message into a world, into our schools, our homes, our workplaces, to our neighbors. And we say to others, we have received mercy from God. And God offers that same mercy to you. And he comes as one who comes with salvation in his hands. Receive the gift of the king and live. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pray with me again. Our God, we thank you for the faithfulness of John the Baptist. We thank you that he lived as you called him to live and that he spoke the words that you gave him. 
these words calling men and women to faith in you, to repentance, and to bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. We thank you for his faithfulness. Lord God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are the God who makes covenant promises with your people, and then you are the God who accomplishes them. We thank you for this coming one of whom Israel, um, Isaiah, and all the prophets spoke, our Lord Jesus. We thank you that you sent him to us, bringing salvation with him. We thank you, Lord, that you prepared a way for him. We thank you that you prepared a path for him. We thank you that you brought the mountains low and raised the valleys up. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to spend your time in the wilderness. We thank you that you have called us out of our wilderness of wandering, out of a life not walking with you. And we thank you that you are the God who has achieved salvation working faith in us, revealing yourself to us to be the one whom scriptures proclaim. Lord, may we continue to prepare the way of the Lord in our own hearts, and also may we share that message and take that message to a world desperate to receive it in Sweden, in England, in Scotland, and Colombia, and Chile, and Union, and Sullivan, and St. Clair, New Haven, Washington, our homes, our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the God who has come to us. You are Emmanuel. You have drawn near to us. Now, through your spirit, would you keep us ever near to you and to your cross and to your empty tomb? This is our prayer. Amen.